Once again, Merry Christmas. Thank you for uh, coming to Calvary this morning. My name is Dan Thorson. I'm uh, one of the other pastors here. You know, I'm always sad to see this holiday season kind of come to a close. Uh, It means going into the coldest and longest part of winter, but it also means taking down um, all of the festive decorations and, you know, Christmas trees that sort of give the season such a a warm and special uh, atmosphere for us to enjoy. Our family, we're uh, heading off in a couple of days to uh, Colorado to spend some time with family out there, and so we're actually going to take our tree down today um, on Christmas. You know, I know it's sad, isn't it? We work really hard, uh, a lot of us, every Christmas season to create a certain vibe, a a certain environment, an atmosphere for the Christmas season. We want that sense of enchantment, that sense of wonder, of beauty, of peace, of warmth. I love it, and there's nothing wrong with it at all, although that definitely was not the vibe for the very first Christmas. And I'm not talking about the smelly animals or the lack of Christmas decor or the absence of lessa and meatballs for my other Scandinavians out there. You know, at Christmas time, we tend to focus on Jesus as a baby, on Jesus as the light of the world, and on Jesus as the incarnation of God, God in the flesh. And all of these are true, and uh, focusing on these aspects of Jesus' identity help accentuate that joy and peace and happiness that we want to feel during this Christmas season. I mean, after all, when the shepherds encountered the angels, they were told this in Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's exactly what we want to feel and experience. But notice what this news is about in the next verse. It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Now Messiah means anointed one and uh, throughout Jewish history through the scriptures we read that there were really only two people, two kinds of people, two roles that people were anointed into, uh, priest and king. And we see in this text Luke says the Messiah, the Lord. This is a pronouncement of Jesus being king, the new king of Israel. You know, the vibe, the atmosphere that we create around Christmas doesn't often capture the reality of this news. We don't feel the implications. We don't sense the revolutionary nature of Jesus being king. But this wasn't lost on the gospel writers. They bring out the tension, the excitement, even a sense of foreboding that comes with this news that a new king has been born. In Matthew's gospel, what we just heard a moment ago, uh, when King Herod, uh, the current king of Israel, learns of this news, this is what it says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When was the last time at Christmas you felt disturbed? Not many of us. Now, just as we don't focus on Jesus as king during the Christmas season, I think that this is an often neglected aspect of Jesus' identity in general throughout the year and just in our relationships with God. We tend to focus on Jesus as Savior, which he is, Jesus as our friend, 
which he is, Jesus as our shepherd, which he also is. But he's also our king. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, Jesus as king is probably the aspect of Jesus' identity that's lifted up the most. And Jesus as king creates a different vibe, a different aspect to our relationship with God. It it demands a different kind of response from us. And so for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to do a vibe check. And a vibe check is, is simply assessing the mood of a group of people or of a situation. And we're going to do a vibe check on our relationship with God. And I want to highlight three different ways our relationship with him should be shaped and changed when we know and approach Jesus as king. The first one is this. Jesus as king deserves our reverence. Again, Matthew chapter 2 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when we think of worship, we tend to think about singing songs, raising our hands, participating in a worship service. That is not what the Magi had in mind. Now other translations of this verse replace worship with bowing down or even to to give reverence to, to give homage to. You see, you worship someone who's in a higher place of authority than you, primarily a king or an emperor. Worship is giving allegiance to a king. And this is done with reverence and respect. This is what these magi are doing. These foreigners who've recognized through their study of the stars that a new king has been born. And they travel this incredible distance and give very lavish gifts to this king because they recognize something that's harder for us to recognize. That a king is worthy of reverence and our allegiance. In one of the New Testament letters written by the disciple Peter, he writes this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Christ as King. This is our first vibe check for this morning and maybe for this year. We can probably do with a little more reverence and respect in our relationship with Jesus. He's King And this demands that we honor him as being greater and more important than ourselves. You know, Jesus as our friend doesn't really evoke that response. Jesus as our shepherd doesn't. But Jesus as king creates a new dimension to our relationship with God. And so let's just check ourselves now. Check your own heart. Do you relate to Jesus as king? Do I? Do we take that seriously? Do we have a sense of awe, of reverence? Would we go to great lengths like the Magi did to pay homage to our king? What would that look like in our day-to-day lives? King Jesus deserves our reverence. That's the first vibe check. The second one is this. Jesus as king 
demands our obedience. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Calling someone Lord or King and not obeying them is a contradiction in terms. Acknowledging that someone is Lord means we are giving them authority over our lives, that we are submitting ourselves to their influence. Now, this doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. It doesn't mean that if we don't obey, we aren't calling Jesus Lord. This is just getting to the heart of the matter. Do we only call Jesus Lord in theory, but not in practice? Or do we genuinely mean, genuinely mean it? Do we have this active place of surrendering our lives to him out of a desire to be obedient to him? You know, really, this is true for any authority figure in our lives. Even think about like coaches in sports. They're an authority figure. And players are called to respect that authority. And respecting that authority means that you do what your coach tells you to do. When we're saying Jesus is Lord, when we're acknowledging that he is king, we're saying that he is in the position of authority, that he is the one we want to influence our lives and that we will listen and obey him. You know, many of us, I think in the Western world, like to think that we are independent, self-made people. But the reality is that we're always listening to and always obeying one authority or another. Now, whether it's cultural influences, the voices of friends, even just our family upbringing, sort of, well, this is how we've always done it, so this is how we're going to do it. We are shaped by these influences, by worldviews, by philosophies, by practices and priorities. We all obey some authority, many authorities, whether we like to acknowledge it or not. And when we give our allegiance to Jesus as king, what we're saying is we want him to have the ultimate authority in our lives, to have the most say-so. Again, it's not just about calling him Lord, it's about engaging with him as Lord, about doing our best to obey him. In this story of the Magi coming to give their allegiance to, to Jesus, we read this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And then a few verses later, we read this. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now here we have a conflict. Two authority figures giving different advice, demanding obedience from the Magi that contradicts one another. Now although it certainly even could have put their lives at risk to disobey King Herod, they decide to give their true allegiance to God. And we're faced with the same choice every day in our lives. Who are we going to obey? Who's king? Who's Lord? Who are we ultimately being influenced by? Who do we trust to guide us, teach us, and give us wisdom to navigate life? 
You know, we can tell who is king in our lives by how our lives are lived. Who shapes our actions the most? Our actions, not our words, reveal who our Lord truly is. As Jesus said, and again, the gospel of Matthew as it relates to money, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So here's our second vibe check. How do you relate to the authority of Jesus? Do you trust Jesus as king in the sense of looking to him to be the ultimate influence, to guide and instruct you? Are you quick to obey? Am I quick to obey? Do we look at Jesus as king or do we only relate to him as friend or advice giver? Now chances are we all, myself included, have areas in our lives where we have a different authority, where we aren't in alignment with King Jesus. Jesus as king deserves our reverence. Jesus as king demands our obedience. And finally, Jesus as king redefines power. You know, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the gospel writers make sure to highlight the fact that this is also the moment that he's crowned king. Just like in the story of King David in the Old Testament, he was anointed king before he was crowned king. And the same is true for the Messiah, for Jesus. The cross is Jesus' throne. Jesus is given a robe, he's given a crown of thorns, And on the cross is a sign that says king of the Jews. Now this is all done in mockery. Jesus is scorned and ridiculed. I mean, no self-respecting king in the ancient world. I mean, no authority even in our day today would ever let themselves be crucified. They're the ones with the power. Matthew again brings this out in his gospel when Jesus is being crucified. People around him said this. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. This is a paradox of the cross. What the authors of scripture proclaim is that the cross is both Jesus' death, in some ways his humiliation, but it's also his enthronement as king. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And you can even replace faith with allegiance here. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. This is reiterated in the letter to the Ephesians. It says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. The Bible declares that Jesus is Lord of lords, that he's king of kings, that he's ruling right now. Right now, he has all authority and power. Now, I have a really big question about that. And often a a deep place of disconnect with that reality. And maybe you do too. If Jesus is ruling, if he's truly king right now, 
with all authority, with all power, why are things still so hard? Still so broken? Why is there so much suffering still in the world? My voice, many of our voices, I think, still echo those same voices around Jesus on the cross. How can a king be crucified? Have you ever wrestled with this? Many faithful Christians have throughout the centuries. Why doesn't Jesus, as king, take coercive, authoritative action like we want him to? Why doesn't he act like a king? In fact, many of our prayers were asking Jesus to act that way, to take decisive action, to take control over our broken circumstances. And it can be really discouraging when that doesn't seem to work. When King Jesus doesn't act like the king we would expect him to be. And again, part of that misunderstanding, that conundrum, that wrestling is addressed on the cross. Jesus as king redefines power. He doesn't work or rule like we would expect a king to work and rule. He doesn't function like we would if we had all authority in heaven and on earth. And that creates a lot of cognitive dissonance for us, a lot of confusion and even a lot of distress when God doesn't intervene the way that we think he should. And that's why we need to just really center in on this reality. The kingship of Jesus and the power of Jesus is defined by the cross. This is how the apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And then a few verses later, he continues. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. A way of putting this is, when God exercised his mighty power, Jesus died on the cross. The cross is a paradox. Just as a king, God's son being born as a baby, is a paradox. Doesn't make sense. And it calls us to live in an upside down way. We're called to trust that life comes out of death. That victory comes through self-sacrifice, self-denial, and other-centered love. That God's power is at work in the world in those ways. Not in the way that we would expect power to work or kings to behave. And yet as followers of Jesus, this is what we're confronted with in proclaiming that Jesus is king. That he's king above all other rulers, all other authorities in this world and the next, but that he doesn't rule like those authorities. In Matthew's gospel again in chapter 20, it depicts the disciples wrestling with this strange upside down reality. It says this, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus as king redefines power. And this should shape both our expectations for how Jesus rules and reigns and how we should behave in the world. It shapes how we pray, what we should expect from God. It tempers our political engagement. It cautions us from using coercive power ourselves. We don't achieve victory in life by asserting ourselves in a dominant way. That's a conclusion we should draw from Jesus as king. We don't need to try to win by arguing or expressing our anger. We don't win culture wars by gaining more power or influence. We don't gain status or achieve success by being better than other people. The power of the cross and the way God works flips it all upside down. If we want to be great, we become a servant. If we want to gain status, we give up our authority. If we want to save our lives, we must give up our lives. And this is true in friendship. It's true in marriage. It's true in parenting. It's true in any other sphere of influence we might have. God's power has been and is always cross shaped. Jesus rules as king, but in a different way than we would expect. Jesus as king changes the entire vibe around Christmas. It changes our relationship with God, reshapes our relationships with others, and even our relationship with the world. And so as we celebrate Christmas today, as we contend with this paradoxical reality that the God of the universe came as a human baby. As we think of Jesus being born into humble circumstances in a dark world, let's remember that we're worshiping a king. A king that deserves our reverence, our allegiance, a king that demands our obedience, but also a king that redefines power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for entering into the world and making yourself known. We thank you for defeating the powers of sin and darkness. And we celebrate that Jesus is king reigning and ruling right now. God, it seems sometimes foolish to us how your power is at work. It's difficult to live the way that you've called us to live, but we ask that in this next year that you help us to surrender to you as king, to obey you as king, and to understand how you rule and how you reign as king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.